Welcome back to Exploring Tiger Style, a series of conversations hosted by Huntington Manager of Curriculum and Instruction, Regine Vital. These talks include perspectives from the playwright, director, actors, local community members, and scholars. This episode is called, What is Parenting Tiger Style? Hello, everybody. Thank you for um, joining us today for um, mini-sode number two. I am Regine Vital. I'm the manager of curriculum and instruction in the education department at the Huntington Theater. And today we're going to have a panel conversation with three guests. Um, and if you will please introduce yourselves. Hi, Mike Liu, playwright, and I'm calling in from Brooklyn. Hi, my name is Francis Ju. I am calling in from... The, my closet here in Midtown Manhattan, and I played all of the older father figures in Tiger Style. And I'm Trisha Pham. I am the Calderwood Pavilion ticketing associate at the Huntington Theater, and I'm calling in from Boston. Awesome. The title of the play is Tiger Style. There's a reason for that. In 2011, I believe it was, Amy Chua wrote a book, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom. It set off a firestorm, there was controversy. I've not read the book, but it strikes me that is there a way to define it? If you had to define tiger style parenting, how would you define it? I would say that it's uh, defined by demand for academic excellence and very uh, top down in terms of like discipline focused and kind of you have to listen to your parents like. Uh, a filial piety take on parenting. Yeah, I think that those are the biggest tenets for me. Yeah, I think, Regine, it's so grateful that you started this conversation by asking that question, because depending on who you ask, tiger style means or signifies a lot of different things. I mean, it goes back 2,500 years to the definition of Confucianism, where, and, and I think of two principles, one, that any success that a person achieves is a reflection of their family, of their nation, of their community. And so it's it's much less about achievement as an individual sort of accomplishment as much as it is, let's improve the world. And it, China was one of the very first, 2000 years ago, was one of the first civilizations that provided a system whereby there was upward social mo mobility. Um, it didn't depend on, you know, who you were related to. Um, it didn't depend on how much money you had. Status and authority was acquired by taking exams. And if you passed those exams, if you were one of the best in your field, you could move up in society. All those ways of social mobility that we take for granted now here in America really have origins way back in China 2,000 years ago. But if you ask people now, what tiger parenting is, um, they don't necessarily think of these, you know, for their time, revolutionary concepts. They think of parents destroying their kids' um, individuality. They think of really harsh corporal punishment. They think of kids committing suicide because of the uh, academic pressures that they have uh, placed upon them. And I think that tiger parenting as a negative 
uh, idea uh, it became attached to Asians in particular because in America it got linked to very ingrained stereotypes of Asian people where uh, Asians are not seen as fully human as having emotions uh, the way that or, or uh, uh, an appreciation of humanity the way that European-centric or white-centered cultures do. Um, and so it very quickly uh, became a very pejorative term. So it means all of these things. And so I have a really complicated relationship to the very term, tiger parenting. Wow, Francis. Yeah. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. For me, tiger cell parenting, like, it conjures up an image of um, helicopter parenting, but kind of on steroids. But what it really means from like an Asian perspective or just like the Asian experience is that your parents are just trying to make sure that you're able to take care of yourself and then them when they're older and um, pay it back. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, negative associations with it. You know, is it abusive? Does it damage you mentally? Um, that's a whole other conversation. But what it's really meant to be is to instill discipline and um, respect and loyalty to your family and to yourself. But of course, this play <laughs> shows like what it can do if you lose track of that <laughs> notion. I mean, you brought up the term helicopter parenting. I don't think of it as having a negative connotation in society. Um, but you know, tiger parenting does. What exactly is the thing about the tiger parent? Is it the expectation? Is it the, the level of discipline? Do we think it's the fact that um, it, it doesn't promote rugged individualism, but community instead, um, family first instead? Does it feel like a major cultural clash that's happening or just a, a misunderstanding of what it actually is? Yeah, I think that there's some layers at play here because it's not only the philosophy around family or a style of parenting that a lot of Asians share, but then I think that the term itself is so loaded and um, as Francis alluded to, has like a kind of pejorative uh, sense to it. And so why I wrote the play was because I recognize in that style of parenting pretty much exactly how I was raised, but then I also recognize both um, the some of the limits to it, but then also the limited nature of the discourse around it that I had been witnessing, that it's, it was actually like a lot of like non-Asian people opining on that and not a lot of uh, digging into where it works or doesn't work or sort of like what it actually means. I think that it's a style that to me feels very rooted in specific reasoning and not just some kind of a rational thing. Um, I tie it into like uh, uh, an immigrant mentality that it's like a way to achieve success as an immigrant in the U.S. that you, when faced with all sorts of like racism and bias, like a way to try to get around that through really drilling into academics so that you can build a little bit of a, of, of a you know, a, a safe haven here and then pull up the rest of your family with that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when you relate it to previous generations, immigrant dynamics, because when you're an immigrant trying to make it in a new country where you have no money, you don't know the language, you realize that you are an outsider, not just by nature of who you are, but how other people see you, becomes a part of your identity, taking into account how other people are looking at you 
as opposed to just having your own perspective. So I trace back uh, what my parents said to me about, you know, in order to just be even, you have to work twice as hard because you're a Jew. My last name is Jew. I'm not Jewish. But and at the same time, they said, you are a Jew, so you're special. You have a lot to live up to because the Jews are smart. They achieve. They work hard. Uh, all of those things. I, I remember going to Catholic school and Jesuit school, and it was very earthy, crunchy. And I came home one day, and I asked my parents, why can't I call you Frank? and Jenny. Why can't we be friends and get to know each other that way? Because I love you. And my mother looked at me and she said, no, we are your parents. We will always be there for you. And friends will come and go, but we will always be there. And so we, we deserve the title mom and dad. And I think I can trace that kind of parenting to immigrant um, stories like where they grew up in Chinatown. They didn't venture out of Chinatown, you know, just a few square blocks in, in San Francisco because it was it literally was dangerous. You cross Columbus uh, Avenue and you could get beat up um, and you didn't you weren't allowed into the same schools. You weren't allowed to 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 rent or, or buy homes outside of certain areas in the city um, by law. Um, so it was about self-preservation and it was about learning the rules that you're presented with in order to, you know, achieve. So, yeah, it can be, it can be hard and there's a focus on achievement goals that you, you know you can measure, like grades, like awards and prizes and uh, how much money you make and that kind of thing. But it also, I think, is, is a really valuable way to provide a moral compass and a way to make sure that your kids are motivated. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all of those things. Yeah, I definitely, I remember when Amy Chua's book came out in 2010, I was a senior in high school. In the morning, I was getting ready for school. I think the Today Show was on TV or something my mom was watching. And um, people were just like, oh my God, what is this? Like, that's abuse. I'm like, really? This is normal. This is this is not news. This has been around for like thousands of years. Asians have had to like pull their bootstraps up and like really grind at just to get by. And it really does stem back from like when we were in our home countries. Like we were targeted all the time for battles, invasions, colonization. And we are like one of the most resilient cultures out there. We're good at just getting into survival mode. And um, tiger style parenting, like it has negative connotations. I feel like in modern times, just because straight up, I think people are just kind of racist. Honestly, I'd be so lost if my parents didn't put that um, discipline on me. I wouldn't have the structure like I could follow now as an, a functioning adult. Whenever I have kids one day, like I definitely will have that, you know, seriousness when it comes to like doing what's best for them and making sure like they are successful, but happy. I, I think a ton about how I was raised, how my parents were raised, and then how I'm raising my children kind of under this umbrella philosophy. And I think that for the play, like what I was really craving was to create a intra-Asian framework where you could discuss the merits and the shortcomings, but like in an insider way and not like uh, with a lens that uh, felt like it was um, 
judgmental and outside and sort of orientalist, for lack of a better term, uh, which I felt like was the prevailing dialogue around this idea at the time. Yeah. What I will say is what I'm what I've pulled from like everything that all three of you have said. My family is from Haiti, uh, so you know, I'm I was born here. My parents met here, but they both emigrated from Haiti, and it's it's very similar, very strict. I often tell people it wasn't a question of if I was going to college; it was a question of how many times, where how many degrees were you going to get, bachelor's, master's, and PhD. But like I I grew up in a house where I have two younger sisters. All of us have have master's degrees. My dad has a master's degree. My mom finished her bachelor's degree at like 61. And that's because she was working to get us through school. And it was, you know, if I brought home an A minus, the question was never, oh, great, it's an A. It's like, why, why the minus? What, 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 what did you forget? So I saw the play and, it, and, I, and I immediately understood it. Again, that immigrant background, that immigrant story, and that idea of resilience that's one of the things we're talking about. And it's in the play. I mean, this the dinner scene with the parents in the play before Albert and Jennifer go off on their freedom tour. That speech, I was like, I've heard a version of that speech and that idea of instilling into you resilience. And so Francis, you're right. The story isn't just about parenting. It's also an immigrant story. This particular one in the play is three generations long and it's continuing to unfold with Albert and Jennifer. And one of the things that kind of hit me while you're doing this speech, which is a very grounded speech, and it's it's a moment where it's not about satire, it's not about comedy, it's about like, let's get real kids. Here's the situation. Felt like a moment where legacy was coming into the room. Felt like a moment where legacy was being passed from the parents to the children. For you, how did it feel to deliver that speech? Wow, thank you for that great description of that moment in, in the play. I got so much feedback from people uh, coming to see the play who thought it was hilarious and they recognized themselves in the play uh, and their own families in the play, whether they were Asian or not. And one of the highlights for uh, people out coming up to me was the um, dinner scene where the family was all together and this huge confrontation comes around. And, and a lot of people talked about that speech and how they had or they longed to have that moment where that legacy was talked about. You're not just fighting for yourself, for your promotion or your relationship. Your relationship and your job are only possible because of what these generations of other people have done and have given you. Having a sense of that kind of belonging, um, I think is something that all people really long for, um, that sense of home, uh, that sense of family, that sense of belonging, having that kind of grounding in knowing who you are. Doing that speech was, was always one of the hardest things because it, it took me a long time to realize that all I really need to do in this speech is be honest in a play that asked me in all these different characters to put on a lot of performative aspects so that we immediately knew who these people were or what they were trying to hide. There's that just that one moment where I just had to be, for lack of a better word, just, just be myself instead of a, a character. Because what the speech had to say was, was so true for me personally. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. That's a, a rare gift. Mike, like, 
what was that speech yeah, for you in writing it? It's funny that because like uh, with a new play, like almost everything gets rewritten a, a lot. And I think that the substance of that speech has remained pretty constant for, from draft to draft and from production to production. The comedic and uh, sort of humanistic feats that Francis is capable of are, like, um, are really on display in terms of like that he's able to do these crazy characters and then like really ground the whole play and then like launch off to this other thing directly after that beat um but i think that audiences are craving a fair shake for these parents because you they've been sort of caricatured and in terms of people's way into the play like because not everybody who's coming to see the play is going to be going through this existential stuff like a lot of people that, that come to theater are going to be more like sort of parents with uh, grown children age and I think that that scene is a big kind of window into like, how do I participate in this play in terms of their perspective? For me, that speech evokes like a long kind of conversation with myself about a lot of people would come up to me right after I got into theater and be like, oh, what do your parents think of that? Or like, what, you know, like, what do your parents say about you going to theater? And there was a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of hand wringing from my parents about like, oh, are you going to be poor on the street? And that was not for no reason, like theaters not the most remunerative but I think also though that like there was a little bit of uh, guilt on my part that like if I go into theater is that in some way squandering the legacy of like uh of the generations that came before me because I have like my grandparents who fled World War II and came to the U.S. and had like so little and were able to raise doctors and then I had my parents who had to like put themselves through college and and work so hard to become a doctor and then like do I squander that by going into the arts and having to really reckon with like if they hadn't done that then I, there'd be no way that I would be able to dream of going into theater and if I just do the same thing as them and be doctors then that actually doesn't further the legacy like what for me what like furthers the family's uh, impact here is if I strike off in another direction whatever that is and do that to the sort of the fullest of my capabilities and so all that gets filtered into the speech about like kind of where you came from and where you're going. And then they throw it out and they do their own thing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, like, that's what kids do. I totally get that. And Trisha, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, um, not because you're necessarily the youngest person in the crew, but I think it's a generational conversation that's happening alongside this uh, great immigration story when you're kind of of a more potentially open freer, looser group of kids than maybe what your parents came from. Like I know for me, there's like a seven year difference between me and my youngest sister. That generation of kids is not my generation of kids. Um, and her crew is a lot looser, a lot freer. So when you hear that speech, how does it ring for you? Do you agree with Albert and Jennifer when they are kind of struggling and clashing with it and want an apology or want some acknowledgement that maybe it didn't work? <laughs> Oh my goodness. I've had that speech at some point um, in my youth, but my parents, they're actually more lax than like my aunts and uncles or like, you know, my cousins and stuff. like that. So I got really lucky with putting my foot down. Like my dad and my mom, they're actually more American than, than a lot of the rest of my like extended family. They came to America like pretty much as kids. Like my dad was like 13 and my mom was like 19 they met here in Massachusetts. They got to experience, like, being young in America. Um, whereas, like, my cousins, like, they, uh, some of them came from Vietnam. They came with their mom and my mom's aunt, like, um, who came here 
to the states whenever i hear that speech i feel like a sense of pride i just think back of like wow my parents went through a lot of stuff i'm sure they have ptsd but how the hell do they like hide it you know <laughs> like i don't know i don't know how you do it but tiger parents are the most resilient people you'll ever meet there is one thought that i, I did want to ask charles hoagland helped me with this one in the wild a group of tigers is called a streak he was thinking one of the positive images about tiger parenting is the idea of prioritizing your family and your children, um, which, as we've discussed, seems to have some sort of a negative connotation here in the States for whatever reason. But when tiger parenting is a natural developed response to a world that meets your accomplishments with skepticism, that doesn't acknowledge your value, it's a deep and necessary act of solidarity with your family. So in the words of the play, Chens don't quit, right, or Jews are special. Or I don't know if the Lou's have a motto or if the fams have a motto, but how does that image of a tiger parent powerfully draw on a sense of familial unity? I'm actually responding more to that word streak, which I never knew before. But like, to me, it's like, uh, keep up the streak. (laughs) Like like we had to run for you and now you have to run for us and you have to keep up that streak. and, And if you flag or if you sort of veer off, then that that disrupts the relay. Yeah, that's great. I think of the American dream paired with tiger parenting. If you're only focusing on how you're being perceived, then you should also know that you've always got home, which is your family, where you get to decide who you are and where you you have a safe space to Just be yourself. And I think that there are other families that have that same kind of dynamic, maybe expressed in different ways. But at at night when you're going to bed, really just having family is what matters. Definitely. The rest of the world is pretty screwed up or they're out to destroy you no matter what. But at least you have yourself. You have your family. That's all that matters. That's a pretty powerful unit when you have like, you know, a core group of people who really are like, tied to you like from birth to death so yeah and I think that's actually a really lovely note to end on the idea like at the end of the day yes you've got you but you've also got your family and is that not that we've got each other we've got this legacy we can continue to pass on and we will continue to survive and be resilient that's lovely I think that's a lovely parent a lovely lesson for parents to teach their children I'm gonna say thank you thank you Mike thank you Francis thank you Trisha um this was really great um I always love a moment when I can talk to folks about having an immigrant background and what that's like thank you so much for sharing with us i'm excited for for the next one of these me too thanks thank you thank you for listening to this episode of exploring tiger style hosted by huntington manager of curriculum and instruction regine vital exploring tiger style is sound engineered by valentine frank this episode features mike lou francis jew and trisha fam To hear the Tiger Style audio play and more of Exploring Tiger Style, and to donate in support of programs like these, visit HuntingtonTheatre.org. If you enjoy Exploring Tiger Style, please follow us wherever you found this series. Thank you for listening.